This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. We're back, Adam. We're back. It's been a couple of weeks since we've sat down and recorded an episode, which I have to say has has felt like an absolute lifetime. And a lot's happened in the world of football without much having actually happened, really, isn't it? But what have you been up to then? Away from the game, what have you been up to the past few weeks? Well, obviously, I had my my, uh, much-spoken-about move across the country that took about a couple of weeks almost um, and just been settling into the new place, new city, well... It's old city. We've lived here before, but um, settling into the new place on a different time zone, which has been a few hurdles for us. We're, what, eight hours apart now, so <laughs> never felt so far from you, my friend. <laughs> I know, yeah, the, the heart lungs. It's bizarre as someone from Britain who obviously has one time zone, the fact that you can move in the same country and be, what, three hours from one coast to the, the other coast is, is mental, but we're actually dealing with quite horrid i in fact i'm not allowed to call it a heat wave because the scientists have said it's not long enough to be a heat wave but it's a heat period in the uk and i don't know if you can hear it, i've actually got a fan just pointed directly at me and before anyone else says who's not from the uk oh it's not hot enough we've got it hotter here the uk is not designed to be hot at all the humidity levels are disgusting our houses are not designed like my i'm sat in my room now it's got double glazed windows pretty much all all of the house is insulated to keep the warm thin. So when it gets hot, it's just like a hellhole. I can't even explain it. It's just disgusting. 
Yeah, I can't really, uh, I can't really commiserate because it's twenty degrees colder than our warm days here. So I have, I have <laughs> absolutely nothing to say. I don't, I don't have, I don't have it here. Oh, wow. Okay. Not in this city. It's this is more. I the the city I live in now is more Manchester weather. It's about fifty five and rainy most of the year, and then we get a couple of heat waves in the summer that just knock your socks off. To clarify, that's fifty five Fahrenheit, not fifty five yes. degrees. Because that is yes. not Manchester weather. <laughs> um, anyway, let's crack on. Um, I've actually gone back and crunched some of the numbers and had a look at the the last time we recorded an episode, which was on the first of June, and we're doing this on what the twentieth of June, and it was only about nineteen days ago. But it was actually, I've done I've done some calculations. It's actually. Six days longer than Liverpool spent on top of the Premier League table for the 21-22 season, which says a lot, really, doesn't it? That that campaign seems an awful long time ago, but it's uh, it's one that will live in the memory for a very long time. It will, and that's an incredible stat. I think that's a great way to kick <laughs> off the actual football chat four minutes into this podcast. <laughs> yeah, what to expect from us today? Then, well, we're, we're, I don't know what we're calling this because it's not the new season yet. Is it, or is it? I, I took out a tweet this week saying the international break for me, I think we can all agree, ended the 21 22 campaign, which felt like it went on for a billion years. Are we allowed to call this the new season now? Are we in 22 23 or? Do we have to wait until a certain point to be able to flip that? I had some I had some interesting answers. I had some from saying when the fixtures are released, that's the new season. And I had people saying right up until the first game of the season. So uh, before we get going, where, where do you wade in on that one then? I consider it the new season when the first ball of preseason friendlies is kicked. Preseason when you friendlies. see When you see the players and the new kits for the first time yeah. and some new signings are trotted out and so on and so forth. That's what I'll consider the new season. For now, it's in between the old and the new. So the seasonless void, um, which we're just stuck in, seems like an eternity at the moment. But uh, yeah, what to expect from us today then? We're returning with what we know best, and that is a full listener question episode. We stuck a tweet out on the City Report podcast Twitter account, so go and follow that if you don't already, asking for some questions, and we were inundated with great responses. Before we kick it off, of course, follow and subscribe if you are new here. Leave a rating and a review as well. But first question, and it seems like there was only one natural place to start, and that is, of course, with Erling Haaland. Whilst we were gone in that sort of 19-day hiatus, there was obviously that fantastic official announcement for Erling Haaland and, and, you know, props to the media team at City and the marketing team. They absolutely nailed that. I thought it was excellent with the, the little old photo and and the interviews and whatnot, that was absolutely superb. But in terms of the player himself, Balogun has asked us a few questions surrounding Haaland. So so get your notepads out because it, it does get a little bit lengthy. But they're wondering how we see him fitting into City's system and if we're likely to see any change to the system to accommodate Haaland's playing style. They go on to mention that perhaps 4-2-3-1 is a possible formation that could be used more next season. Now, there was that article, wasn't there, whilst we were away saying, I can't remember who it was from, but saying that that Erling Haaland's great, Manchester City are great, but together they're going to be an absolute waste of time, which was ironically a waste of time of an article but the the there may be some teething problems let's not sort of beat around the bush there but but how do you see the sort of the first few weeks and months of Erling Haaland at Manchester City panning out I think there definitely will be a teething period but that's 
that's normal with any signing that this club makes, especially under Pep Guardiola uh, and especially attacking players. So mm. um, I'll take each question individually. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip-flop the question order. As far as a system change goes, I don't see any sort of system change happening because of Erling Holland. Um, you know, if you go and look at the way that City play, everyone always says, oh, they play with a false nine. But that's not that's not consistent across the board for every city setup. There are specific players that play centrally for city that don't play as a false nine, like Raheem Sterling or Gabriel Jesus. They play as more traditional number nines in which they make runs off the back shoulder and they, they pull the center backs deeper to allow more room for wingers and the attacking midfielders. Whereas when somebody like Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden plays in that central role, then it's a a true false nine where they're dropping back into midfield, overloading in midfield, and they're laying off passes to wingers and so on and so forth. Um, As far as a 4-2-3-1 goes, I think a lot of people have discussed that because of the potential arrival of Calvin Phillips. Mm. Um, But I don't see Calvin Phillips as a starter anyways. I think he's there to uh, back up Rodri and and make it so that Rodri doesn't have to play sixty odd games a season with absolutely no, um, you know, no time for rest because he didn't necessarily have a replacement. Um, if you go back and look at a lot of these games where teams sit in, in a deep block and City are just kind of pouring on the pressure but not really creating anything, uh, that's where Erling Holland comes in and and that's where. We now have this new change of pace, this new change of look where you can put aerial crosses into the box and and things like that. And that's what Erling Holland gives you. So, no, I don't really see a system change necessarily um, to fit him because I think it's more of he's going to take a little bit of time to bet in, but he will be able to eventually slot straight into the system that we already play on, on a fairly consistent basis. Yeah, I think I think the first point to make here on Haaland is... Haaland will fit in wherever Pep Guardiola chooses to play him because he, he's that good. And you no, know, it's not a case of bringing someone in who who has a few question marks around the the quality. There's no question marks around Erling Haaland's quality. The thing, obviously, the thing is we've seen with Pep attackers in the past is it's taken them a while to adapt. Obviously, Grealish, the latest example, we had Mares, another. But even a pessimistic soul like myself is struggling to see that being the case. And I'm not sort of subscribing to the idea that he's going to break the Premier League goals record in his maiden campaign. I think that could could maybe come down the line, but but probably not in the in the next 12 months or so. But he's definitely going to succeed purely because he's that calibre of player. As for the system change then, um I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see City move away from something we've seen in the last eight in the last sort of two years or so and, and purely because Haaland's arrival allows City to play maybe a little bit more direct than in previous seasons and where where usually in City's build up we we've grown to be frustrated with it a number of times there'd be this really patient build up actually Raheem Sterling who someone will speak about a lot on this episode has said it himself when when Leroy Sane was here everything was quick 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 bang 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 whereas in the last couple of seasons with this false nine system the false nine is part of the build-up play and, and almost becomes part of the midfield. So by the time you arrive in the box, that false nine has to catch up with play. And it, it can be a little bit sluggish at times, but it can appear a little bit sluggish and a little bit more measured. Whereas Haaland provides that sort of recognised focal point at the top of the pitch to play towards. And, and the, there'll be times City score a goal this season, I'm sure of it, where Haaland will have one touch in a move and that one touch will be a shot and it will be a goal purely because he, he's not necessarily going to have to drop deep and, and collect the ball. Whereas 
I'm not saying you can't, but whereas when when City play false nine, that is essentially how that position works. Um, on Calvin Phillips, I, I definitely agree. I don't think he, he'll be he'll be a, a starter to to begin with, and it will definitely be considered a squad player. But for a midfield nerd like myself, I am sort of kind of hoping we see a, a little bit of a double pivot, sort of akin to how Pep Guardiola used someone like. Philip Lahm and Tony Cruz and Chabi Alonso in his times at, uh, at Bayern Munich or even David Alaba at times too and that sort of really take control of the midfield and we'll do a little bit on formation later on as well but but I am sort of manifesting this and it, it will never happen but I'm manifesting this sort of 4-2-2-2 with, with Rodri and, and Phillips or even Bernardo Silva could play that Phillips role as well and the two strikers another one we'll mention a bit later on but yeah it, it it's unlikely to be a, a ripping up the rule book from City and Pep Guardiola in the next sort of few weeks, but little tweaks I can imagine is where we'll see the Haaland move go. This is where I get a bit confused, though, because you're not the first person I've heard say this, where they say, oh, you, you know, you can put Calvin Phillips in there as a double pivot mm-hmm. and, and, and wrestle the control of the midfield. But I can't remember many games in the past two or three seasons in which City didn't already have total control in the midfield. Yeah, sure. So I don't I, necessarily... Yeah see the point in sacrificing either Bernardo Silva or Kevin De Bruyne because you'd obviously be having to take somebody out of midfield mm. Um, mm. to fit Calvin Phillips in. But then again, what it does is it gives you other options, and we'll speak about this later, um, about how many options this team does have tactically. Um, and yeah, it, it's another option, but I, I just don't see... We had we had a tweet, I think, this morning about um, my my graphic I posted for City Squad depth online that got a little bit of uh, of stick, but I just um, yeah I don't see really that much changing. Just kind of slotting in the new players in places where they be they'll be useful. Yeah, I guess my point there was that the, I see the arrival or the potential arrival Touchwood of Calvin Phillips being not just a Rodri understudy, but but having watched him for England alongside Declan Rice who. It's probably the only comparable uh, holding midfielder who can do what Rodri does at the moment in terms of creativity. But having seen him against, uh, sorry, alongside uh, Declan Rice, he can play as as a, an effective number eight. And, and by no mm. means is he the the best number eight City have. I think he'll probably rank about tenth in that list. But he can do that role and and perhaps going away to Anfield and somewhere that City maybe haven't enjoyed the most success in re- recent years. This is a fella who's who's played big games for England and, and will no doubt play big games for City if he joins. So I guess that's where I was coming at for that one. But we'll move it along swiftly because there is a lot to get through today. Um, that was Haaland. Obviously, our opinions are, are pretty steadfast on that. It's unlikely to change. He's a very good player. He'll score a lot of goals for City and we can't wait to see it. A few of the more complex questions we've had then and uh, quite a few have come on potential departures. Because, Adam, if you haven't been keeping up, City are, are planning to sell their entire 23-man squad this <laughs> summer, leaving just Edison and Scott Carson there, or having a piss up on the goal line. Um, but, to be honest, one of the more legitimate rumours is, of course, Alexander Zinchenko, who, like the last five seasons or so, has been linked with a move away from City. I think out of all the transfer nonsense from the last couple of weeks, this is probably the simplest to understand. City won't want to sell Zinchenko because he's a very good player, but recognise that he's probably only going to be a squad player or a rotation player, and it would be wrong to stand in his way of leaving, especially given what he's given the club. 
with enough time left on his contract, obviously, if, if clubs want to sign him, as has been the case for a number of rumours, the valuation will have to be met. And and on this um, on this topic, Manai J has asked us, where does Zinchenko rank amongst the best left-backs in the world? Not just backup left-backs, but overall left-backs, obviously hinting at the potential arrival of Mark Kukurea from Brighton and suggesting whether or not Zinchenko would be a better suit to, to sort of be above Kukurea, be a below Kukurea, or if his future lies in midfield instead. So I didn't take the time to make a list of one to however until I got to Zinchenko. <laughs> I'm going to do that eventually because I, I the question really interests me. I just yeah, didn't have time question. to do it before this podcast. Um, and I'd like to sit down and just start listing left backs until I get to Zinchenko to really see where I have him. Um, but my kind of guesstimate that I threw out there is he's probably a top 25 left back in the mm. world. That's what mm. I've gone with. Um, which considering the level of talent he plays with at City may not seem like a lot because there's a lot of players at City who may be the best in the world at their position or top two or three. Um, But I think Zinchenko's level probably as a professional is he's probably a bona fide regular starter at a club one tier below City. We're talking Mm -hmm. your Tottenham's, Borussia Dortmund's, Sevilla's, Atletico Madrid's, clubs like that that are just maybe one tier below that still have a lot of pressure on them, play big games, European games. Um, but City is obviously a level in its own. Um, so that's probably where I'd have Zinchenko ranked. Um, and just the, the other part of the question as far as his potential departure, this, this saga feels a little different to me than ones in the past mm-hmm. um, because I think in the past when there was clubs like you know, Napoli were interested in him. Wolves and West Ham were both interested in him at times. And he always, you know, said he wanted to stay and fight for his, his spot in the team. You know, I think his reason for staying back then was, I'm going to show you the level that I can hit. And we're now at a point where he has shown us the level that he can yeah. hit. And to keep him as a squad player, I think is a disservice to him. Uh, there's there's two sides to this, you know. Having Zinchenko in the squad is unbelievable. But Zinchenko is... A, top human being and a top football player. And I would like to see him playing 30 odd games a season, potentially somewhere else, if that's where he has to do it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the problem with Zinchenko is the fact that, and I don't mean this to disregard what he's done or what he can do, because I'd love City to keep him, but it feels like he's reached his full potential in the City squad. And as as good as that, sort of that ceiling is for him it doesn't feel as if there's another step for him to take um just going back to to the original question then and and sort of ranking him amongst left backs I'll I'll quickly list off some Premier League left backs and we can sort of try and gauge where he might be because I I think we're sort of coming to this sort of conclusion that he's good but potentially is is a like you say a tier below obviously I think it's fair to say it's someone like Andy Robertson and and um Cresswell at Chelsea, those are those are probably up there with, with some of the best. But but in terms of the, the the tier below, you might say someone like Tyreek Mitchell. Would you have him above Zinchenko? Mm, no, solely on the basis that Tyreek Mitchell hasn't played in the level of games that Zinchenko has okay. played in. I think they've put in similar performances, but when you look at the level of competition and magnitude of games, I think you have to take that into account with Zinchenko because he's putting in these performances in Champions League semifinals, yeah. title, title, Premier League title winning games, so on and so forth. So 
uh, I think that uh, is a little bit insulting, I'd have to say. <laughs> okay, okay. So so starting at the bottom then with, with someone like Tyreek Mitchell or, or relative bottom, what about someone like Lucas Dino or, or Kieran Turney? And and, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm trying to get at, the fact that you, you'd yeah. probably look at those players and say, yeah, you, you'd, you'd have them above them. And, and it's not to disregard Zinchenko, but it's to sort of say that, yeah, he's good, but but does City have to sort of at one point say, look, if you want to stay, we're we're more than happy to have you, but there's also a point that's going to come where we're going to have to look at getting a, a natural left back. We're going to have to look at sort of strengthening in those areas, and if you want to stick around and you want to play, I don't know, 25 of the 60 games every season, then be our guest because you know no one's going to do that job better than you. But if you want to go on and move and, and make a name for yourself in the Premier League and and you know, you may be playing Europa League. You may be playing no no European football at all, but you, you will be playing 40 games a season. Then fair enough. And I think that's sort of where we're at with Zinchenko. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think a few of the players you mentioned there, like Dina and, and Tierney, I think that's, that's the level he's at is, mm-hmm. um, you know, these players play at clubs that aren't necessarily too far below City in, in terms of talent level, but they are, you know, a tier or two below. Um He's a fantastic player, obviously. And what's interesting is we don't necessarily get to see what he is like over a 30-game season. You know, yeah, he has yeah. from time to time um, when he gets these little spells of, of playing time, we do see some games where he's off it a bit. He makes some mistakes, some some poor decision-making from time to time. And then we see games where he's he doesn't put a foot wrong. Um, so I'd be really interested to see him at a club that still has pressure on it, like, like an Arsenal, like a mm. Tottenham, and to see him play – 30 odd games a season and, and see just how consistent his performances are. And that's not me doubting him. It's just, it's pure curiosity. It's the same in midfield as well for me too. Cause obviously recently in the, in that gap, since we, we've done recordings, he, he bossed that world cup playoff semi-final against Scotland. And there was a lot of chatter online about him and people saying, well, I don't see just play midfield. He's clearly good enough. And, you know, he was great, but again, it is only Scotland. Um, and, and I actually think he's probably in that position, in that sort of hybrid 8-10 role. He probably is one of the top 10 midfielders in the Premier League. It's just a shame six of them play for Manchester City and and, and not going to be able to, he's not going to be able to get in front of them. That's just sort of where we're at with him. And if he does go, it looks like the rumours are hotting up a little bit. If he does go, it will be a heartbreaking shame because he's someone who sort of acts as an embodiment of the club in the last few years and has sort of really struck a bond with the with the fans. And obviously that was intensified by everything that went on in Ukraine and those those images of him wrapping the Premier League, uh, the, the Ukrainian flag around the Premier League trophy will, will stick with us for a very long time. So we'll wait and see on that one, but it would be a massive shame. Um, another potential departure then, and this one is shaping up to be quite the transfer saga. It's starting to get a little bit messy. It's starting to get a little bit toxic. And that is Bernardo Silva looking to try and, or at least reports suggesting, looking to engineer a move to bankrupt Barcelona. They've made it... Quite, I'm sorry, that, that was so childish, but uh, it's been one of those days, those Laporta comments have made me, have put me to the brink and put me to the edge. Um Bankrupt Barcelona, as they're now going to be known, have made it quite clear that Bernardo Silva is their number one summer target, with City also making it quite clear. And, and Pep Guardiola, actually, today in a press conference ahead of the the, uh, the friendly, the, the mid-season friendly with Barcelona, made it quite clear that Bernardo is not for sale. 
We've had two questions. We've had two questions about Bernardo, but we'll but we'll start with Radar to HZ's submission, who asks quite bluntly, "What would it take for Bernardo to sign a ten-year contract extension?" Now, there's been a lot of hysteria about his potential departure. City saying it won't happen. Barcelona saying it will. But would Bernardo's departure be as detrimental as some people are making out? Uh, I'll start with the first question. What would make him sign a 10-year contract? Uh, money and a lot of it. Uh, and and the sun being brought and, to yeah. Manchester, I think, would help. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's not... I, I'm not saying Bernardo Silva is some sort of greedy, money-hungry yeah. guy. That's just... it's That's football. Um, his departure would be... I think devastating to the team. I think mm. that because he plays in the midfield with Kevin De Bruyne, that he does get overshadowed at times for just how good he is. Um, but I mean, there have been times in, mul- in, in in almost every season that he's been here, except for 2017, 18, his first season where he will go on these little four or five month periods where he he's hitting Ballon d'Or levels and yeah. he's the best player in the world in that time. Um, Look, if if he wants to go, then then and the money is right, then you let him go. I I have always said from day one in my time as a football fan, if somebody doesn't want to be at the club, let them leave. I mean, obviously, if you get the right offer, you don't let them go for for peanuts. But if if they don't want to be here, I don't want them there. I love Bernardo Silva. He seems like a fantastic human being. He's a fantastic player. If he wants to go, let him go. It would be devastating to the team. But I, I think. What would be more devastating is if you have a player that doesn't want to be there mm. uh, showing up every week. And and I don't think that's the case with Bernardo Silva. I think, you know, we saw this last year where he wanted to go the previous summer and he didn't get his move. And look how good he was this year. And, you know, you, you see him celebrating goals, running to the fans and, and pointing at the badge on his shirt. And that doesn't look like the kind of guy that's going to be a cancer in the dressing room uh, because he didn't get his move or anything like that. But I think over... A long period of time if every summer he's like okay look I, I just want a new adventure and it never happens then maybe he starts to harbor a bit of resentment i i don't know i'm just kind of thinking worst case scenario mm-hmm. but i i've always been of the idea that if somebody wants to go they should go if if the money is right and um but i think he's kind of irreplaceable in all honesty you mentioned that I, I think it's crazy we're sat here, what, in June 2022, speaking about Bernardo Silva still being a Manchester City player, given how sort of how strong the rumours and, and how inevitable it felt he was to leave last season. And obviously that didn't happen because nobody had the money to buy him. It could be a case that happens this season. And um, the Main Road Ramble actually did a great segment on their recent transfer special about Bernardo Silva. So go and go and check it out. I, I won't repeat it in full, but essentially just saying, you know, the last 12, 18 months for human beings have been horrible and sort of professional athletes are not withstanding during that. Being away from your family, we saw it with Eric Garcia, saw it a little bit with Ferran Torres. You can't begrudge players for wanting to leave because COVID has made them miss their families. Like They're human beings and they're being asked to play football and, and do it on a world stage and perform in front of the eyes of the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it does feel like he's a lot more settled now than he was 12 months ago. And you mentioned the sort of the passion you see from him this year. And it, it could be, it could be a front, it could be a facade. We don't know, you know, it, it may not be genuine. It feels like it is though. 
from a player point of view, from a football point of view, I, I, I'm with you here. I think his departure would hurt City's midfield, midfield so much because it's essentially two players wrapped into one. He obviously does the leg work and the running that a, a number six, a great number six can do, retaining the ball winning possession back, etc., while offering that creativity in midfield of a number eight. And for me, the only direct replacement I could see happening would be someone like Jude Bellingham. But not only is is he not going to be available this summer, he's also going to cost an arm and a leg. So again, it looks as if Barcelona might fall short of this purely because they're in an absolute rut and they're struggling to pay the players that are at the club already. But should he leave... I think it could be potentially one of the biggest sort of transfers out that will hurt City for a number of years. Because if you think about the, the players who have left, City have been able to either replace them or cope without. I don't see this season, if City are without Bernardo Silva, how it isn't a problem. No, you're spot on. There, I, I, I'm of the opinion there is not a direct replacement alive yet. <laughs> or at least not playing professional football yet. They might exist yeah. somewhere, yeah. some 15-year-old kid that's going to grow up to be like Bernardo Silva, but I don't <laughs> think they exist uh, in this era. Maybe um, prime Luka Modric, maybe 28, 29-year-old Luka Modric, who will give you energy going one way and give mm. you craft and guile going the other way. But you go and look at Bernardo Silva in big, big, big games. We're talking games against Liverpool, Champions League games. The things you're spot on that he he's two players wrapped into one. You know, his his energy going one direction and his ability to almost make himself another holding midfielder and, and clog up the midfield. And, you know, he's consistently the player that has run the farthest distance in every game. Um, and then you give him the ball and he turns into Lionel Messi with the ball at his feet. Um, that's, that's totally irreplaceable. You can replace each of those um, attributes individually, you can find a really crafty midfielder out there and stick them into midfield, but they won't give you the energy mm-hmm. going the other way. You can find a, a bulldog midfielder that's going to run around and cause chaos and plug up the midfield. They're not going to give you the the technical ability going forward. So yeah, it would be devastating to City's midfield. Um, but I'll caveat it the way I did the first time that if, if he desperately wants to go like the Spanish, and I'll I want to specify that the Spanish media are making it out to be, um, then he's got to go for both his sake and, and our sakes. Cause we don't, we shouldn't want players at the club that don't want to be at the club. Second question on Bernardo then. And, and this is more of a hypothetical look at the situation. It comes from Dylan Meehan who asks us if Bernardo and Frankie de Jong were to swap teams would Pep Guardiola be able to get more out of Frankie than Ronald Koeman and Xavi have done in the past? Most definitely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Frankie de Jong is, is precisely the type of player that Guardiola strives to have in his team. You know, you only have to look at his development of Sergi Busquets over the years, mm-hmm. Rodri, Joshua Kimmich. And, you know, these are all guys at different clubs and different, and different setups that he is, you know, in that area of the pitch he has developed into world-class players some of some of these guys are I would say all of them are in the top five midfielders in that in that category I mean Brisquets is obviously you know getting towards the back end of his career but um, I think Guardiola would love Frankie de Jong he wouldn't love to lose Bernardo Silva Mm -hmm. but um, Frankie de Jong is one of those players that he's he's nowhere near the Bernardo Silva level yet 
but he is a guy that can play holding midfield and he can play it well and he can play in a number eight and be creative and, and pick passes. And yeah, I, Guardiola would love him. And I absolutely think you could get more out of him than than uh, Xavi and, and Ronald Koeman. Yeah, I really like Frankie de Jong. And I don't see... Oh, one second, I'll go again. <clears throat> yeah, I really like Frankie de Jong. And I don't like seeing him struggle for form like he has in the last 18 months or so because he, he is one of the players that can go right to the top. Um, I mentioned Bellingham... Oh, my God. I mentioned Bellingham before as a potential replacement for Bernardo Silva, and obviously he's, he's a, a couple of steps below Bernardo Silva right now, but I, I meant it in terms of the closest like-for-like in world football. De Jong, I think, as you mentioned there, is another player who is capable of doing multiple roles on the pitch at the same time, like you mentioned. And I do think it's important to say De Jong under, under Xavi hasn't been the same De Jong as we saw under, under Koeman because, I mean... As nice a guy as Ronald Koeman looks, although I'm not, I was never a fan of his loafers. His time at Barcelona was an absolute car crash, and and obviously the the player Chavi was. It's no surprise that De Jong was was in sort of relative terms thriving in that Barcelona team, and he was starting to look a little bit integral come the end of the season. Um, but saying that, it isn't hard to imagine a world where Pep Guardiola gets absolutely more out of De Jong than, than Xavi has, and and I would love. I would absolutely love to see the two working together. Although it does feel as if it isn't going to happen, though, does it? Because the the way things are going, United are very much interested. De Jong isn't interested in United, which is what we absolutely love to see. But should Bernardo Silva leave, should City start looking for a replacement immediately, I think he's probably, I think I'm fair in saying, the only one in world football that, that they'd entertain. And it looks as if Barcelona would entertain his departure too. Um, moving on to the next segment then and, and linking the two together, I've got another question for you. If we were to lose one player this season out of these two, who would it rather be? And it's Bernardo Silva and it's Raheem Sterling. I'd have to say Raheem Sterling. Um, and that's no insult to Raheem, uh, but I think that Bernardo Silva is entirely, entirely irreplaceable mm. immediately. There mm. may be a player down the line, like I said, maybe like a Frankie de Jong or some Jude Bellingham, somebody else that can develop into to reach the levels that Bernardo Silva has hit. Um, but I think when you look at the other attacking players that City have and the, the attacking players coming into the club this summer, um, that they'll still score a shed load of goals without Raheem Sterling, whereas the midfield is significantly weakened without Bernardo Silva. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this this comes on the back, obviously, of the last sort of 48 hours, really. Links of Raheem Sterling potentially moving to Premier League rivals Chelsea. Now, obviously, Sterling only has a year left on his contract. That's set to expire at the end of next season. There have been talks about discussions that are ongoing. Obviously, come, come the sort of turn of the year, it seemed inevitable that, that Sterling was going to sign on that dotted line. Didn't happen. We got to the end of the season. Sterling was being left out of the big Champions League games, the big Premier League games, and it feels as if City's time with Raheem Sterling could, and I sort of put that in in sort of italic, could be coming towards an end. 
Our question on Raheem Sterling then has come from Balogun again, and they've asked us, how realistic are the chances of Chelsea signing Raheem Sterling this summer? Now, this is a story that that seems to be constantly on the move. Um, yesterday, to the time of recording, we had the news that Chelsea were, and it was quite comical actually. Chelsea were looking to sign Raheem Sterling for thirty-five million pounds, with the with the sort of assumption that City would be willing to let him go. Obviously, with that contract expiring next year, then about an hour or two later, it came out that City would only entertain bids in the region of sixty million pounds. So. That's where we are at the time of recording. It may change by the time this hits your ear. But to answer the question then, Adam, how realistic are the chances of Chelsea signing Raheem Sterling this summer? I think they're pretty low. Um, I think, obviously, the £35 million is a disgustingly low fee for Raheem Sterling, even considering the fact that he's going into the final year of his contract. £60 million is more around um, understandable because of the fact that he's going into the final year of his contract. You know, I see people saying mm-hmm. 60 million, you know, Raheem Sterling's market value is is far above 60 million, but you have to remember that he's got the final year of his contract and it's it's either take the money now or lose him for free next year if he doesn't yeah. sign a new deal. Um one thing that confuses me a bit um is Chelsea don't play with wingers unless they are playing a new system maybe this upcoming season but uh in the last few years under thomas tuchel chelsea is is a place where wingers go to die you look at hakim ziesh um callum hudson doy players like that they end up playing at wing back or playing in a central role they don't want to play in so the move for me for raheem sterling doesn't make sense from a, a footballing point of view um and i think that he's now at a point in his career where his his next move is going to be his big move it's going to be where he's going to play the the prime years of his career. He's what, 27 now. Mm. Um, So his next move is going to be somewhere where he's going to absolutely thrive and he's going to play every single game. That, that that's where Raheem Sterling needs to be at in his career. And I don't think Chelsea is that place. He may play every single game, but it's going to be a teething period playing in a new system, potentially out of position, which I don't think he likes doing anyways. You know, he's played a lot centrally at Manchester city, whereas he should be playing out on the wing. Um, so I think it's pretty unrealistic. I think if you're Raheem Sterling or Raheem Sterling's representatives and you're sitting down and you're looking at the sort of the tactical aspects of European football right now and you go in, right, okay, next season I'm I'm going to be heading into the prime years of my career, like I said, I'm one of the best wide forwards there is in the game, where will be best for me to play football? And you look at every team's squad and you look at how every team's going to set up, on a blank canvas, without knowing what team's which, you look at Manchester City squad and you go, yeah, that's where I'll thrive the most because Erling Haaland's coming into play as that number nine. You've got energy on the opposite flank with Jack Grealish and, and Phil Foden. He's, I don't know, I can't say he's going to get minutes because his form might be not up to the minutes, but you feel as if with that number nine where I mentioned um, Calvin Phillips alongside Declan Rice for England, Raheem Sterling alongside Harry Kane for England was sort of unplayable at times during the Euros. Raheem Sterling is a player who thrives alongside a striker who is able to arrive in the box and and finish off chances. Now, 
<laughs> it's, it's bizarre that, like I said, that this, like you said, this transfer doesn't make any sense to me. Not least because Romelu Lukaku is heading the opposite way, and if it was to come and play alongside Romelu Lukaku in a sort of four-three-three, um, then that'd make a lot of sense because you can. I, I, I love Romelu Lukaku. I, I think he's massively misunderstood and and would be great signing for most clubs in European football. The only problem for him is the fact that his manager is Thomas Tuchel. But were they playing together? I think that would be a perfect sign, an absolutely perfect sign. And Chelsea sort of get elevated into that next tier alongside um, Liverpool and City. Could they could they sort out the defensive problems? But with him going, like you say, do Chelsea rip up the rule book themselves and go, no, we're going to play with a back four and we're going to play with, with sort of two wide men and a striker? If so, who will it be? Well, probably Kai Havertz. But is he the sort of striker that... Raheem Sterling would would thrive uh, alongside. I, I don't think he would. So this one is, I, I do that as I scratch my head, sort of inadvertently. But it is a head scratcher. It really is, and I'm not confident on Sterling renewing his contract. But at the same time, touch wood, I think him being at City next season is increasingly likely. Probably, to be honest, because nobody will have the money to do so. But if you're his representatives and you're going right, you want to leave to play more football. Are you going to go and do that and play right wing back? Is that really what you want to do as, as one of the world's best talents? I don't know. It, 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 nothing really sort of adds up to this this situation. Whereas with the Bernardo Silva one, you can go, yeah, it's Barcelona. They're still a big club. They're in the Liga. They're going to challenge for trophies. He's going to play at the new Camp. It's going to be a, a childhood dream, if you like. Raheem Sterling, okay, moving back to London would be would make sense for him. His family's there. He grew up there. You can sort of see why that'd work. But apart from that, there is nothing about this transfer for me that makes any sense at all. As well as on the city side too, in that, like you said, that he's, he should be coming into a period where he can begin to thrive again with, with recognized strikers coming into the team. And I said this on Twitter yesterday, it's looking increasingly likely like, Gabriel Jesus is going to leave the club. And I don't see City, I know there are some, and I'll put in quotations, journalists out there reporting that um, that the club are willing to let both Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus leave uh, uh, unreplaced. I don't see that happening. Mm. Um, mm. If Jesus leaves, which it's, it's looking like he will, then that frees up more playing time potentially for Raheem Sterling. Um, and, and like you said, I, I think he'll thrive with Erling Holland mm. in the team. And and if he gets into you know a, a time where he's beginning to thrive again, and we're seeing kind of 2017 to 2019 Raheem Sterling again, then this this story could, could potentially just flip on its head, and he starts playing 30 odd games a season again, and signs a new deal, and blah 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 blah. So I think it makes sense for Raheem Sterling, and I think it makes sense for the club to keep him here for another year because you can say, look, we've got a, a new look attack coming in. You've got one year left on your deal. Nobody has the money to get you right now. We don't want to lose you for this, you know, small fee. Um, mm. Stay here another year. Play this this one more season with, with Erling Holland and, and Julian Alvarez coming in. Uh, we've got wingers leaving. You'll have more playing time. If it doesn't work out the way you want, you can go anywhere you want at the end of the summer. Because he can. He can go to Real Madrid. He can go to Barcelona. He can go to Chelsea if that's still an option. He can go anywhere he wants in, in 12 months' time. Or you play for the final season, you thrive again, you're playing big games again, and you say, you know what, this this is where I'm happy. I'm playing again. I've got a, a great striker next to me that is just banging in all the goals I'm setting up for him. I want to sign for another two or three years and, and 
then it's a happy ending. So I think it just makes sense for every party to have him play one more season at City. And he's going to be 28. You still have three or four seasons of, of prime Raheem Sterling, maybe five seasons of prime Raheem Sterling that he could play elsewhere. So, yeah, I just think it makes sense for everybody involved for him to see out the final year of his deal. For City as well, if you're looking at it, you're not going to get Raheem Sterling to sign a contract extension if he's wearing a Chelsea kit. That that ship would have sailed. So even if even if City do lose, lose him on a free next season, to have an extra year of him, and he may get 20 goals and assist contributions, he may get 35. You, you don't know, but... The, to cut it off, and and, and like we say, it, it looks as if City was sort of just sent that offer straight back the thirty five million pounds. We'll wait and see if Chelsea come back with a bigger offer. Obviously, they've got new ownership. Um, they may they may look at it as the marquee signing, but you, you really should be looking at it. Where City in the past, like Leroy Sane, for example, have allowed a player to leave in the dying years of the contract to get some money. At Gabriel Jesus as well, for example. Sterling is the one you would probably make an exception for the rule and say, no, you, you, you're too good. You, you're too important for us. We're going through a little bit of a change, see how it goes, and then we'll wait and see. Um, let, let's do a little bit of hypothetical thinking then before we move on to the final topic, and it, it ties in quite nicely. If City were to lose Gabriel Jesus, which I think I'm confident in saying is, is a certainty now, it looks like he'll be arriving at the Emirates, and then lose Raheem Sterling to, let's say, Chelsea, would City have a problem in their in their attacking areas? Would not replacing one of those two lead to issues for City down the line? Not replacing one or both? Both. So not bringing in another wide man to replace either of them? I don't think so. I've seen a lot of kind of scaremongering from a lot of City fans over this. Um about the fact that maybe your wingers now become one-dimensional and then you're looking at a, a wing depth of Riyad Mahrez. Julian Alvarez can play on either wing. Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, potentially Cole Palmer coming in and playing some more. But what we're not accounting for is the fact that we have recognized strikers coming into the team. And I think when you look at City of last season and the season before, if you would let those two go and didn't have replacements coming in... Um, then you would have a really one-dimensional attack. But everyone is saying these two players are going to leave and not be replaced, but they are. Erling Holland is coming in. Um, Julian Alvarez is coming in. Those are two attacking players coming in for two attacking players leaving. Um, so I don't. I wouldn't want to see Raheem Sterling go. I don't re- really want to see Gabriel Jesus go. I, I think both of them are fantastic players and provide totally different things for this team. But if you look at the attacking players that City would end up with, there are still many ways to set them up. You can play two strikers. You can play no strikers. and go. You can go back to a false mm-hmm. nine, which we've seen works and has won titles. You know, there, there are so many ways to set this team up um, that, that the idea of having many wingers that kind of do the same thing, quote unquote, um, that... That, that wouldn't really put too much fear into me. And, and like I said, I put that tweet out yesterday kind of showing the attacking depth that City would have. And there are many ways to set that attack up and, and many ways to threaten the opposition. So I wouldn't love it, but it wouldn't be the sky is falling that many City fans are making it out to be. Yeah, for sure. And 
it as if by magic leads us on to our final final question of the podcast. And you mentioned the man himself, Julian Alvarez, there. And and the last question comes from um, at Bertiful South. He wants us to just purely speak about Julian Alvarez, and and he asks sort of where he'll fit in. Will it be alongside Erling Haaland? And, and obviously, we, we mentioned the. The, the potential change or lack thereof to the system earlier on? Could we now see potentially two strikers playing in, in I don't know, a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2 or 4-2-2-2 um, and to accommodate that that two-striker system? And and like I said, you know, we've covered the, the system changes, but do you think this transfer is perhaps, not in the City point of view, because I'll come to it a little bit later on, but there is recognisable hysteria whenever Julian Alvarez takes the football pitch and I am not sort of alone I'm I'm guilty in that hysteria Um, but but in the wider media do you think this is perhaps going under the radar a little bit? Yeah and it's and it's understandable when you look at the other stories surrounding the club huge potential departures and obviously one huge 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 arrival of Erling Holland. Mm. so it makes sense why it would be overshadowed. It wasn't a big fee, so there's not that for the media to report yeah. on and and make up, you know, start start tallying uh, transfer fees in, in Mexican pesos <laughs> and things like that for Julian Alvarez because the fee is relatively small. Um, but it's being overshadowed partly because he's doing very well at River. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know he's he's close to like a goal contribution a game at this point. Um, but he's doing it in a league that not a lot of people in Europe watch. Um, it's not a European league in the first place. So there's going to be a lot of questions coming in. Um, and as far as the question about does he slot in next to Erling Holland and does he maybe go out wide? I think the first thing that we're going to see from this new look city attack is we're going to see not much change from last season, but we're going to see Erling Holland in there. And he's going to be working in that system that we've been playing with already. And it's going to take Alvarez a lot of time to bet in. He looks a fantastic player, but he's going to take a lot of time to bet in. It's going to be a completely new culture, completely new club, new city, new country, new continent, new league, new style of football. Um, Whereas Erling Holland doesn't have to have that betting in period. He's played European football. Uh, He's played Champions League football. So there is a potential to see them alongside playing each other. We saw that with, with... Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero a bit in the 2017-18 season where Pep played a 3-4-1-2 or 3-1-4-2, something like that. Um, but I think that early on in the season, you're going to see your run-of-the-mill 4-3-3 and you're going to see Riyad Mahrez out wide, Jack Grealish out wide, Phil Foden out wide, and, and Erling Holland is going to be in there banging in goals. Um, and it's going to take Julian Alvarez some time to bet in, but that's that's understandable, I'd say. You mentioned the relatively low transfer fee and how the media haven't been able to compare it and, and sort of put it into different currencies and, and make it sound as big as possible. Well, I've done exactly that. Um, Julian Alvarez in Indonesian rupiah has cost City two hundred and seventy-two billion Indonesian rupiah. So uh, that, that's a lot of Indonesian rupiah. I mean, but, that's but, yeah. that's that's exactly why gas prices are on the rise right now because we had to fund that. <laughs> Cost of living crisis. Um, 
Uh, but, but you're spot on. For me, it's the sort of signing, and I'm going to be a little bit salty here, but it's the sort of signing had Liverpool made it under under Michael Edwards, for example. Everyone would be praising them for how fantastic their business is and how they're tapping new markets and how they're not sort of going down the traditional big-name route, which City have done themselves. You know, Hurling Haaland isn't exactly an uh, uncovered gem. But because it's City and City spend big on players... This has sort of, I'd say it has gone under the radar a little bit. And for the mention, for the reasons you mentioned, obviously he's he's an unknown entity in European football. There were rumours that a few clubs, sort of that middle bracket of European clubs, were looking at trying to get him on loan. And you know, Marseille were were, were sniffing around, and, and the club themselves in that sort of fantastic Friday night press release to all these journalists, like every every single reputable source linked to City and beyond, all at the same time tweeted as if robotically, no, Julian Alves isn't going anywhere. So so it's nice to see the club refute that, but. Um, in some ways, I feel like this is a risk-free transfer for City because obviously at £15 million, it's a move that hasn't cost City a great deal. You know, you, you look at some of the the departures and City have probably already made that up in, in some of the sort of the CFG prospects, the £2 million, the £3 million um, sales that they've already made. So if things aren't going as they should be and as they're expected to be with Julian Alvarez, you'd still expect City to recuperate those funds in, in, say, like a couple of seasons' time. So the fact that City have been able to bring this player in, they've obviously paid, I think it was one point something million extra to get him in um, in pre-season as opposed to waiting until the Argentine campaign finishes later on in the year. But but there is that sort of, whereas with Erling Haaland, there's that level of risk. For Julian Alvarez, there, there isn't and. It, and Granted, it is it is the Argentine Premier Division. The quality isn't fantastic, but for a player to score that many goals, regardless of what league it is in professional football, it has to be considered a, a promising a promising uh, aspect to his game. And one thing that I'm so excited about is is the fact that he's taken time in professional football to before coming over to Europe, where in, in previous years we've seen South Americans in their 17, in their 18, in their 19 years old, coming over to Europe and just not really understanding football in general. Julian Alvarez, is you cannot sort of beat him with that stick. He, he's earned his stripes. He's part of the Argentine national team setup, which I think is another important point when people are questioning whether or not he'll fit in. But yeah, I, I'm extremely excited. So, um, so cue two goals in these first sort of 950 minutes of football. Yeah, exactly. No, look, I'm, I fully agree with you. He's, he's, he looks like he's going to be a fantastic player and you're spot on about how he's, he's stayed at river a bit and developed. And it's worth mentioning for people that don't follow any sort of South American football, river plate are a huge club. Mm. He's playing in a big full stadium with a ton of pressure on him at a fairly young age to be the number nine at probably the biggest club in South American football. Yeah. Um, so this isn't a guy that that is going to be um, not used to pressure. He's going to be he's going to be used to pressure packed moments, big games with a lot on the line, um, and that's a great experience for a young player. And not only is he experiencing that, but he's thriving in it. And he's he's putting up. We see him score five or six in one game recently yeah, in, a, yeah. in a Copa Libertadores game. Like the kid's a freak footballer. Um, and he's going to come in, and he's going to come in. Looks like at the right time at at, at City, where there's potentially big attackers leaving, um, and he's going to come in and and 
if those attackers don't leave, then he's probably just going to be an Erling Holland understudy. But what a way to kick off your European career! Um, so I, I, I'm with you. I think this is a win-win situation. If he if he comes in, he doesn't play a lot. He scores some goals, and um, I mean this with the greatest respect. He's almost another Kalechi Iannaccio. Then maybe he leaves mm-hmm. in three or four years on a big fee, and we recoup mm-hmm. a ton of the money. We make a profit, and you know this is a guy that if he doesn't work out at City there's going to be plenty of other clubs that want to swoop in for him. So you're spot on that it's a total win-win for the club. What isn't a win-win, though, is when he leaves River Plate and my Twitter interactions go right down because whenever he scores a goal, I thrive on it. I'm like a vulture um, waiting for those stats, waiting for those videos. And, and yeah, it's that it's that meme, isn't it, where, where that, that guy is milking the cow that's me whenever whenever Julian Alvarez does something good. It's like, oh, another Julian Alvarez tweet then. I think you, if you just search my name and Julian Alvarez, it, it, it probably looks borderline obsession at, at <laughs> some point. It, it, I just constantly, constantly tweet about him. So, yeah, it will be really exciting and really, really excited to see him come in. But I think that will do for today. We, we've, we've covered an awful lot. And it, I think it's important to say at this point, there's probably a, a multitude of universes where absolutely none of this or absolutely everything of this happens. You know, you think about the the house of cards, say Bernardo leaves, it could open a new door, City starts sniffing around, or, or all of these players might stay. We don't know. Um, but that's where we are at the moment. Um, I'm not quite sure what the plan is until this new season. Obviously, it's still summer. We'll be back with these sporadic episodes, probably just mailbags as well, and asking questions that you guys want to hear, answering in in as sort of as best way as possible. But no, that was that was really fun to get back out there. I feel like a, a player at preseason stretching those legs for the first time. Yeah, and I've now broken in my new office first first pod oh, yeah. in the new office, which yeah. is even though I've just got piles of clothes and books and random wood pieces and stuff uh, surrounding me it, it's yeah it's a good feeling to get to get back in the pod center yeah definitely we'll uh we'll be back up to match fitness i'm sure soon but no that that was really good um as always if you can follow subscribe if you're new around here leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening along on anything to round off the episode adam anything that you want to leave the listeners uh before we go because other than that, we'll be we'll be back soon. Uh, for all my Mancunians, just stay safe in that seventy degree <laughs> heat wave out there. That's all. That's all I'll say. Honestly, stay safe in in the Mancunian heat because it is horrible. I'm about to go and lie with a fan on top of my head. Um, but yeah, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. This has been the City Report podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, see you later. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.